divided nation. That is what we call ourselves now. And indeed, the way that many outside this country now see us. A divided nation. It is the phrase you encounter in a variety of forms in the news from the mouths of politicians in the titles of articles and editorials and books everywhere. A divided nation asks, what's holding our country together, reads the headline from U.S. News and World Report. Foreign Affairs offers some advice on how Biden can rebuild a divided and distrustful nation. Americans must get to know one another again. Healing a bitterly divided nation, the link between Lincoln in 1865 and Biden in 2021 from the Washington Post. President Biden highlighted this reality in his inaugural address saying, we must end this uncivil war that pits red against blue, rural versus urban, conservative versus liberal. And that is easier, as the saying goes, easier said than done. How do we bring unity when civil society feels so fractured? How do we bring healing in a climate that seems to promote inflicting and ignoring pain? How are we supposed to turn down the heat when passionate commitment is so necessary and when lives are at stake. Spoiler alert, this sermon holds no comprehensive, decisive solutions, but hopefully holds some helpful reflections as we engage these questions together. I have turned often to our seven, presently seven, principles to see what guidance they may offer in various situations. Thinking about what I wish to focus on in this service, the third principle seemed the closest and most natural match. And the third principle reads, beginning with the preamble, We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote agreement with one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations. Right? Oh, no, not quite. What does it really say? We covenant to affirm and promote acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations. It doesn't say agreement, and it doesn't put restrictions on nor even attempt to define, thankfully, spiritual growth. But look, it does say 
acceptance. Isn't that a form of agreement? Well, technically, it affirms that we will accept one another. It does not say that we strive to accept all opinions, beliefs, perspectives, or actions. And therein lies possibly our first lesson. Accept one another. What does that mean? I have come to think that it's as simple and as difficult as this. To remain aware of the other person as a person. Now that may sound absurd. What could the other person be but a person? So let me say that there are times when I find myself yelling at our TV, firing back at someone who has a viewpoint very different than mine, whose perspective I find hopelessly twisted, whose opinions and commitments I find dangerous, and I find myself talking back to the person on TV in a less than polite manner. And this can all sound a little humorous or hopelessly dysfunctional, but I'm guessing I'm not the only one who sometimes does this. But there are times when, in my anger and my outrage at the real danger that I believe is in their words, when I realize that I have lost sight completely of the fact that the person speaking on my TV screen is a person. To me, in those moments, they are only a carrier of toxic opinions. To me, in those moments, they are but a symbol of things I find abhorrent. I have lost touch with the person's personhood. It's easy to do. And when I allow that to happen, I can justify responses that I would not be able to justify toward another actual person because they've become only a symbol, a symbol of something I passionately oppose. We speak of red and blue, Democrat and Republican, urban and rural, liberal and conservative, socialist and capitalist, humanist and evangelical, on and on. It's not that those terms are not useful. They are descriptors of something about people. But if that's all I have in order to define the person, then it's easy for the person to become the label in my mind, the symbol of a body of beliefs. And because I find the opinions or beliefs mistaken, misguided, even dangerous or threatening to my deeply held values, I find myself in fighting the position this person takes to be willing to imagine crushing the person to rid the world of the danger of the position taken. This becomes even clearer in instances where I first come to know a person and then find that our opinions differ considerably, sometimes frighteningly. 
or I find Facebook posts from extended family and am shocked by their positions. It doesn't change my opinions about those matters, but it does mean that I cannot unthinkingly disregard the person's humanity, their personhood. I know them as people. I accept their peopleness. It is a powerful thing to accept one another. It doesn't mean that I will be any less passionate in opposing ideas, opinions, policies, actions that are destructive to those principles I hold most dear. It does mean if you are on the other side of an issue that I will not give up on your personhood or, by extension, my own personhood in the process. And if I accept you as a person, it means that I will be open to listening. It means that I will attempt to suspend my suspicion that I already know what you will say. It means that I will approach our conversation with a curious rather than a critical perspective, even when I know I'm right. Which would necessarily mean your opposing or simply alternate view is wrong. And to me, there is another lesson here. To practice listening beyond or beneath opinions. Opinions are only the thinnest surface sitting on top of the deep stories that we all carry. With opinions, I naturally consider myself right, which means that unless you agree, you are wrong. But I can't be right about your story, nor can you be right about mine. When we tell our story from deep inside and we listen with a loving mind and we hear our voices in each other's words, then our heart is in a holy place, says one of our hymns. Come, sing a song with me that I might know your mind, reads the hymn we will sing shortly. Come, walk in rain with me. Come, share a rose with me. Experience. Stories connect us in ways that abstract thought and opinion do not. And stories, I believe, have a stronger influence on our beliefs and values and opinions than reason or faith combines. The stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, about our lives, has a lot to do with how we will respond to the world, to the very fact of existence. And I don't mean to say this is easy. When we find ourselves in deep opposition to the perspectives of another, we would be hard-pressed to sing a song or share her rose with them. I don't mean to romanticize this. Sharing stories won't magically erase all the divisions between us. I may listen to your story and still reject your interpretation of your story, realizing, of course, that my interpretation of your story is coming from an outside perspective. 
More precisely, I may think that the conclusions you have drawn from your interpretation of your story have led to harmful beliefs that threaten others. But before I get too self-righteous, I have to remember that my interpretations of my own story have changed over time. I have to remember that though I feel confident in the beliefs I now hold, they have grown, changed, expanded over time. Thanks to the compassionate acceptance of others, their acceptance of my personhood, and the way that so many people have patiently participated in raising my awareness both personally and in the wider culture. Have you considered the possibility that everything you believe is wrong, asked poet Federico Miramarco. Not merely off a bit, but totally wrong, nothing like things as they really are. It's interesting how threatened I feel by that question, even after multiple readings. But it does open me up to remembering how my beliefs have changed over time, and to the idea that there is always room for growth and for new awareness to bloom. It opens me up to the realization that this is just as true for other people. It opens me up to what Gretchen Haley in our call to worship calls this humble, centering confession that I could be wrong. Not necessarily about that for which I am striving, more love, more justice, more peace, but wrong about you, about the other person. It reminds me to hang on to the humanity of even those whose ideas I must faithfully oppose if I am to be faithful to the ideals that I hold. As I appreciated the grace which others bestowed upon my ignorance and stubbornness in times gone by, and no doubt in times ahead, I must hold out that possibility for others. And nothing I've said should be heard as a call to back off on our work to create more love, more justice, more peace in this world. Nothing I've said is meant to decrease our commitment to anti-racism and collective liberation. Nothing I've said is meant to imply that maybe we, our religious communities, just shouldn't get involved in politics. The values we hold and the principles we affirm and promote as congregations necessarily have political ramifications. We may disagree on how they are actualized, but we cannot fail to do what we can to give them life. As I listen to the pleas for unity and for healing this divided nation, I believe that some are completely sincere, and others, I fear, are thinly disguised schemes to avoid principled challenge in favor of keeping the peace. I fear that the motivation in some cases, whether conscious or unconscious, 
is not to promote civil conversation, but to guarantee comfort to those for whom the status quo is working just fine, hoping that in the interest of civility and unity, we won't press too hard for changes. We won't cry out too loud for justice. Not acceptable. Acceptance of one another means I must listen especially closely to the stories of those on the margins. I must realize that I, white, male, hetero, cisgender, temporarily able-bodied, I am insulated from the lived experiences of so many who find themselves on the margins. I don't get to, or I shouldn't get to, compromise the struggle for justice, inclusion, equity, in the name of unity or healing. There is no chance to heal wounds that are not first acknowledged as wounds, and U.S. history holds far too many compromises made to placate the dominant culture, to avoid the challenge of our own highest ideals as a country. I believe there is good in each of us, no matter who we are or what we believe in, writes Jacqueline Woodson. I believe that, too. I also believe that just as we have the capability to be honest and compassionate with one another and with ourselves, we also have great powers to deceive ourselves, to justify the unthinkable, to avoid challenges to ignore or intentionally reject one another's humanity. Each of us, all of us, hold those potentials. And I have to remember that everything I experience is filtered, not only through my story, but through my current interpretation of my story. And this is not a problem as long as I remain aware of it, unless I engage in the fantasy that my story is universal or that my current interpretation is comprehensive and final. So I will practice listening, especially when I know I'm right, approaching conversations with curiosity rather than assumptions listening for the stories rather than the opinions. Though I may speak with bravest fire and have the gifts to all inspire, though I may win the verbal fight, though I may prove I'm always right, if I don't have love, my words are vain as sounding brass and hopeless game. I have to keep my heart wide open. In the struggle for a more just society, I will never let go of the humanity of those whose ideas and actions I oppose, meaning that I will also be nurturing my own humanity. Humbly, faithfully, I will join with others in working toward more love, more justice, more peace. And I will hold on to a promise described by Gretchen Haley, this promise that we make to keep learning, to keep trying, to keep our sense of humor, to keep close this knowing that we are all 
in this together. We've got to keep our hearts wide open. So may it be.